Hello everyone, and welcome to the September 30th edition of WarnComp Weekly News. I'm Kyle Eubelhart with Floyd, Scarin and Kelly, and thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. The Court of Appeal ruled that the WCAB does not have exclusive jurisdiction over distribution of attorney fees after an award. Here's what happened in the unpublished case of Leeds versus Reno and Ida. The law offices of Mark R. Leeds entered into a contract with the law offices of Donald J. Reno, whereby Leeds agreed to refer workers' compensation cases to Reno in consideration for a percentage of the attorney fees. Three years later, Reno and Ida, a professional corporation, became the successor of the Reno law firm. By this time, Leeds had referred over 1,000 cases to the Reno pursuant to the agreement. Leeds entered into a new agreement to the successor firm on substantially similar terms to the original agreement. The successor firm continued to pay Leeds his portion of the fees for about the next 16 years. In 2010, Mark Leeds formed his own firm in Long Beach, California, taking some of the workers' compensation cases with him. Reno then refused to pay attorney fees to Leeds, and Leeds filed a civil action in Superior Court to collect the fees he claims to have earned. Reno demurred to the civil complaint, arguing that the trial court lacked subject matter jurisdiction because the WCAB has exclusive jurisdiction over disputes regarding attorney fees and workers' compensation cases. The trial court sustained the Reno demur without leave to amend, dismissing the complaint with prejudice. Leeds appealed the dismissal, and the Court of Appeal reversed in the unpublished case of Leeds v. Reno and Ida. The Court of Appeal concluded that the distribution of attorney fees in a final award pursuant to a fee-splitting agreement is not subject to the exclusive jurisdiction of the WCAB. Once the WCAB has resolved the reasonable amount of the attorney fees and makes a final award, the WCAB has no further interest in or obligation to determine how the fees are to be dispersed. The court concluded that the dispute was outside the jurisdiction of the WCAB. Fred F. Hafezi, M.D., is currently listed on the DWC database as a QME, spine specialist with offices in Azusa and Ontario, California. The Medical Board of California reports that he holds a physician's insurgent certificate orig originally issued in October 1970. Medical Board records also reflect that on June 25, 2013, the Attorney General of California filed an accusation against Dr. Hafezi asking that the board revoke or suspend his physician and surgeon certificate. In support of this request, the board alleged that on April 25, 2013, in the Los Angeles Superior Court case of the People of State of California versus Farad Fred Hafezi, Hafezi was ordered to register as a sex offender. As a result, the board alleged that his physician's and surgeon's certificate is subject to mandatory revocation. The accusation continues to allege that Hafezi was charged in the criminal case with several counts of oral copulation, contact with a minor with intent to commit sexual offense, and unlawful sexual intercourse with a person under the age of 18, all violations of the penal code. On April 1, 2011, the board alleges that Hafezi pled nolo contendere to all four counts, but one month later attempted to withdraw his plea of guilty. One year later, in 2013, the court denied his motion to withdraw his guilty plea. As a result of his plea, the medical board alleged that Hafezi stands convicted of these charges and was sentenced last May. 
imposition of the sentence was suspended, and Hafezi was placed on formal probation for 36 months, ordered to serve 180 days in jail, and required to register as a sex offender. Dr. Hafezi is currently out of jail as he was given credit for his time served. On August 6, 2013, Hafezi and his attorney signed a stipulation for restricted practice. The purpose of the stipulation was to restrict the physician's certain certificate pending further adjudication of the medical board. Hafezi was ordered to cease performing any activity for which a license as a physician is required in the state of California, with the sole and singular exception that he may complete reports on patients seen as workers' compensation referrals who were referred to him prior to the order. The stipulation is to remain in effect until completion of the administrative proceedings against him and the issuance of a final decision on the medical board thereon. And now for our fraud report. According to a seven-month investigation by Kremlin Security, an identity theft service that sells social security numbers, birth records, credit and background reports on millions of Americans has infiltrated computers at some of America's largest consumer and business data aggregators. Two of the hacked servers were inside the networks of LexisNexis, a company that maintains the world's largest electronic database for legal and public records related information. LexisNexis is also widely used by members of the workers' compensation community for legal research. LexisNexis confirmed that two systems that had been compromised were public-facing LexisNexis web servers. A tiny unauthorized hacker program was placed on the servers last April. The program was designed to open an encrypted channel of communications from within LexisNexis's internal systems. The malicious program installed was carefully engineered to avoid detection by antivirus tools. All three victim companies said they are working with federal authorities and third-party forensics firms in the early stages of determining how far the breaches extend and whether indeed any sensitive information was accessed. LexisNexis said it found no evidence that consumer or customer data was reached or retrieved. LexisNexis immediately has contacted the FBI and initiated a comprehensive investigation. A 78-year-old Auburn man pleaded guilty in a federal court in Sacramento to making false statements to obtain federal workers' compensation benefits. Bruce Lee Kerlock has been receiving workers' compensation benefits under Federal Employees' Compensation Act since 1987. While collecting these benefits, Kerlock stated in periodic reports under penalty of perjury that he was neither self-employed nor involved in any business enterprise. But at the same time, Kirlock was involved in operating the San Francisco nightclub known as Fuse. He hired and fired employees, made decisions on capital expenditures, and dealt with private citizens and public officials as the owner of the nightclub. On the basis of his statements to the Office of Workers' Compensation Program that he was not involved in a business enterprise, Kirlock continued to fraudulently receive disability benefits. Kerlock is to be sentenced on December 5th. A San Diego woman pleaded guilty to taking part in a multi-year scheme to falsify medical certifications for immigrants seeking help in obtaining U.S. citizenship or government benefits. 57-year-old Nawal Talia admitted that she recruited patients for National City psychologist Roberto Velasquez, who was sentenced earlier this year to 21 months in prison in order to repay 
more than $1.5 million to the Social Security Administration. She and psychologist Velasquez worked together to falsify medical certifications and fabricate patient histories to make it appear that they were mentally disabled. Talia admitted that she held Velasquez's falsified disability exception certification forms used by the Department of Homeland Security during the naturalization processes and medical letters used by the Social Security Administration to award supplemental security income and disability payments. Investigators established that Talia repeatedly lied about durations of treatment in order to create a track record that would satisfy reviewers of the Social Security Administration and immigration agencies. The scheme came to light during an undercover operation conducted jointly by the Department of Homeland Security, Immigration and Customs Enforcement, and the Office of Inspector General, Social Security Administration. The California Board of Psychology has taken action to revoke the license of psychologist Velasquez. However, at this time he remains fully licensed with no restrictions on his ability to practice. The number of individuals impacted by medical identity theft continues to climb. So does the number of victims fooled by spurious email websites designed to prolong sensitive information. According to the 2013 survey of medical identity theft, the number of people who have fallen victim to this type of fraud has increased by 19% this last year. More than 300,000 new medical identity theft cases cropped up during the last year. The annual study in its fourth year surveyed nearly 800 adults in the U.S. who self-reported that they, or their close family members, were victims of medical identity theft. Experts also saw a significant uptick in dubious websites being erected by saboteurs and spam emails were being sent, all with the intent of tricking individuals into giving up their medical information. 8% of the respondents cited the cyber schemes as the cause of their issues, up from only 4% the prior year. 7% of medical identity theft victims believed a data breach suffered by their healthcare provider, insurer, or related organizations was the cause of the fraud. Medical identity theft is defined as a person using an individual's name or personal identity to fraudulently receive medical service, prescription drugs, and goods, including attempts to commit fraudulent billing. The National Insurance Crime Bureau just released an analysis of workers' compensation questionable claim referrals submitted from 2011 through June 30, 2013. The report finds that while the total number of workers' compensation benefits has been decreasing, the percentage that is deemed questionable has been rising. Questionable claims are claims that the NICB member insurance companies refer for closer review and investigation based on one or more indicators of possible fraud. A single claim may contain up to seven referral reasons. California ranked first in generating a total of nearly 2,300 workers' compensation questionable claims to the Bureau. It was followed by Illinois with 689. New York was third with 688. There are several referral reasons for which the NICB member companies can select further describe a questionable claim. The top three referral reasons were the same in each year. First was claimant fraud with about 6,100 cases reported. Second was prior injury not related to work with about 2,300 cases. And third was malingering with about 1,300 referrals. An injury not related to work 
is typically a person who suffers an injury during a recreational or day off activity, but fails to report it until at work, thus claiming that their injury happened while on the job. A malingerer is someone who has suffered a legitimate injury, but continues to feign symptoms, thus collecting benefits long after he or she has fully recovered. The full report is available online. And in regulatory news, House of Representatives and Senate committees have agreed on legislation that would give the Food and Drug Administration greater authority to regulate companies that compound sterile drugs. The legislation would also create a national set of standards to track pharmaceuticals to the distribution chain to help thwart introduction of fake medications into the drug supply. The bill called the Drug Quality and Securities Act comes in response to a deadly outbreak last year of fungal meningitis that killed more than 50 people and was traced to a tainted steroid sold by a compounding center. The legislation is expected to pass smoothly and quickly through the full House and Senate. Traditionally, pharmacists who compound medication mix tailored doses for individual patients in response to specific prescriptions. Over the last decade, the practice has mushroomed, with some pharmacies selling thousands of doses for physicians to keep for future use. The legislation would draw a distinction between traditional compounding pharmacies and those which ship sterile products across the state lines. These larger organizations, to be known as outsourcing facilities, would be regulated by the FDA but be exempt from the full spectrum of regulations that apply to traditional pharmaceutical companies. Traditional compounding pharmacies would continue to be regulated by the state pharmacy boards. Previous attempts to create national standards to track and trace drugs have foundered amid complaints that companies that they would be too costly to implement. But concerns over counterfeit drugs have been growing. Globally, around 10% of drugs are suspected counterfeits. In the United States, dozens of states have some type of regulation designed to track a drug's pedigree, but the rules are inconsistent. The bill is designed to resolve the current patchwork of federal regulation by applying a uniform standard nationwide. And in medical news, the Food and Drug Administration has issued final rules governing the development of mobile medical apps, saying it will focus its oversight on those products that have the potential to harm consumers. The rules come more than two years after the FDA released draft guidance in which it proposed regulating any mobile app deemed to be a medical device. The FDA said it will regulate products that transform smartphones into devices the agency currently regulates, such as electrocardiograph machines that can determine whether a patient is having a heart attack. The agency will also regulate apps that would be used as an accessory to a regulated device, such as one that displays images used by physicians to diagnose patients. The FDA said it will not regulate the sale or general consumer use of smartphones or tablets or mobile app distributors such as iTunes Store or the Google Play Store. Nor will it regulate personal wellness apps such as pedometers and heart rate monitors. The agency has cleared about 100 mobile medical apps over the past decade, of which 40 were cleared in the last two years. The average FDA review time was 67 days. The FDA is not going to enforce its powers on mobile apps it considers relatively safe such as those that help patients organize and track their health information, or promote strategies for maintaining a healthy weight or adhering to medication dosing schedules. The market for mobile health apps 
will reach $26 billion by 2017. Currently, there are about 97,000 mobile health applications in major app stores. And in other news, Floyd Scarin and Kelly is pleased to announce its Northern California Annual Employment Law Conference. The conference will feature keynote speakers Christine Baker, Director of the Department of Industrial Relations, and Phyllis W. Chang, Director of the California Department of Fair Employment and Housing. The conference will be held on November 7th at the South San Francisco Conference Center. This is an all-day event designed for employers, managers, claims adjusters, risk managers, attorneys, and any other professionals associated with the human resources and employment law. The conference will provide helpful guidance related to numerous workplace topics. Ms. Chang will discuss the important new disability and pregnancy regulations in effect this year. The new disability regulations significantly expand the protections for disabled workers and set forth new employer obligations and requirements related to disability discrimination, reasonable accommodation, the interactive process, job descriptions, and medical certifications. The new pregnancy disability regulations greatly expand the protections afforded to employees disabled by pregnancy, including new notice requirements and an expanded list of conditions that constitute a pregnancy disability. Ms. Chang will review key provisions of the new regulations, what is new for employers, the DFEHH's enforcement perspective, and employers' best practices for ensuring compliance. Ms. Baker will co-present with David W. O'Brien Esquire, retired workers' compensation administrative law judge. They will provide a workers' compensation update focusing in on the latest developments pertaining to SB 863 and new case law. Visit fskhrtraining.com for more information and online registration. That's all our news for and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news, updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, iPad, iPod, or Android device by searching for the WorkCop Academy within your podcast software. Again, I'm Kyle Eubelhart with Floyd Scarn and Kelly, and thanks for joining us today. Drop by again next week for more news.